Welcome to the very first episode of The Mists of Mythology, a podcast created for delving into the myths of many places. Join us as we explore the hidden stories of the past, from the Greek gods to the witches of Avalon. Stories are life, and they are how we can understand the truth of our past. Only by understanding the tales of yesterday can we move on to the future. In this episode, we go to Scandinavia, where modern-day Norway, Sweden, and Denmark now reside. Long before Christianity made its way into Scandinavia, these lands were colonized by the Norse, known to many as Vikings. Norsemen were the people who colonized the lands of modern-day Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. On these lands, many Norsemen worked in shipbuilding, weapons creation, and other retail that was essential to a functioning civilization. However, one of the things that Norsemen are most well known for were the brutal Vikings who tamed the seas. The Vikings left their home countries on boats made by their people and set sail to small islands and even larger land masses. They would raid, trade, and sometimes colonize the lands that they happened upon, branding their names into history as some of the most brutal people. There were many famous Vikings, with one of the most famous being Leif Erikson. Granted the nickname Leif the Lucky, he was an incredible explorer and raider, and did much in his lifespan. However, one of the things that burned his name in the history books was that he is arguably the first European to ever set foot on North American soil. Far before Christopher Columbus, it is argued that he made it to North America around 1000 CE. The Norse people are brutal, there is no doubting that. Their mythology, however, is full of noble warriors and clever tricksters. The stories of Norse mythology are rich and full of enticing words and spinning tales. To truly understand these myths, we must start at the beginning, the Norse myth of creation. Quick disclaimer, these stories are created from research and no two resources agree on the exact same myths. Before there was anything in the universe, before the sky and the stars, the earth and the air, there was the gaping abyss of Ganungagap. This void of perfect, unblemished darkness and silence bridged the world of elemental fire, also known as Muspelheim, and the world of elemental ice, also known as Niflheim. Eventually, frost and ice from Niflheim met flickers of flame from Muspelheim and Ganungagap and formed the first giant Ymir. Although giants were fierce and formidable creatures, they were not gods. When Ymir first slept, the sweat from his body dripped down and formed more giants. As the frost of the land continued to melt, a cow was uncovered. She gave her milk to Ymir and was allowed salt licks of the ice. As the cow continued to lick, she eventually uncovered a human-like form who became the first of the Aesir gods, Buri. 
Buri later had a son, who he named Bor, who married Besla, the daughter of the giant Bolthorn. The first Aesir were really fond of the letter B. Bor and Besla had three children, Odin, Vili, and Ve. Odin and his brothers slew Ymir, and formed the world from his corpse. His blood became the rivers and the oceans, his skin and muscles became fertile soil, and his brains formed clouds. His hair formed vegetation, the sky was his skull, and the maggots crawling on his body became the first dwarves, the smiths of the nine worlds. From two tree stumps, the gods formed the first humans. Ask formed from an ash tree, and Embla formed from an elm tree. The gods then created Midgard, a place where humans could dwell free of the giants. To truly understand the stories of Norse mythology, you must first understand where they take place. The Nine Worlds, where the Norse resided, is the Norse belief for how the world looks and works. The Nine Realms are home to different races and different types of people. The Nine Worlds are connected by the World Tree, known to the Norse as Yggdrasil. The World Tree is the base for all of the Nine Worlds. At the roots of the tree, a dragon known as Nidhogg resides, snaking around the base of the tree. At the top of a tree, a hawk sits, shaking the nine worlds with his wings when angry. And between them, running up and down the world tree to carry messages between the bird and the dragon, is Ratatosk, a giant squirrel. The squirrel's purpose was to carry messages, but instead he often twisted the words of the dragon and the hawk in order to make them angry at each other and shake the Nine Realms. From the top down, the first realm is that of the Aesir. The Aesir live on Asgard, a city full of towering golden pillars, castles of precious metals, and fanciful foods that are fit for kings and queens. Asgard is home to the gods and is led by Odin the Allfather, the chief of Asgard and father to many gods. The next realm is Midgard, the realm of the humans. Built with a sturdy wall around it and protected by the gods, Midgard is a land of prosperity and safety. However, when there is battle or war, Midgard is almost always the first place to attack, as humans are precious to the gods. Not because they care, but because they created humans, and thus the humans are important. The roots of the tree branch out to the other seven realms. One realm is known as Alfheim, the land of the elves. Elves, willowy and graceful creatures. The elves were never seen as essential to the functioning of the nine worlds. They were seen as more guardian angels, light and bright, not fighters. The next realm is Vanaheim, home of the Vanner. The Vanner, like the Aesir, are a race of gods. Unlike the Aesir, who are fighting gods, the Vanner are gods of nature and magic. The Vanner are like the elves and are keepers of light and grace. Jontheim is the realm of the giants, brutal and always lusting for power. The major type of giant is a frost giant, descendants of Ymir and creatures with a deep hatred for Aesir. The frost giants are always causing trouble, and with their king, Utgard-Loki, their tricks never cease in the search for power. 
Niflheim is the realm of ice and was one of the major factors in sparking creation. It is where the dead go if they do not go to Helheim. It is a bitter and cold place where there is no true life. Niflheim is seen at the very bottom of the world tree and is often treated as such. Helheim, the realm of the dead, is one of the most terrifying places in the nine worlds. Ruled by the goddess Hel, who is half lively and beautiful, and half dead and rotting, it is a land of broken promises and unanswered prayers. Helheim is where people go if they don't make it into Valhalla. Valhalla, while not one of the nine realms, is the place where warriors go when they die. It is a place of joy and bravery, and even if one of the residents dies, they will be resurrected the next day unscathed. It is where people await Ragnarok, the end of everything, when they will fight to their true deaths. Nidavellir, the realm of the dwarves, is a place full of genius when it comes to craftsmanship. Dwarves are expert craftsmen and have created weapons and tools that the gods use themselves. While it may be dark, the dwarves are certainly vital to the functioning of the Nine Worlds. Finally, Muspelheim, the realm of fire. It has also assisted in the creation of everything, and is also vital to end it. Surt, the demon king of Muspelheim, is fated to assist in Ragnarok, the end of the world. The Nine Worlds are incredible places, and many stories originate within them. Now that we have our setting, it is time to introduce some of the characters. There are two races of gods, the Aesir and the Vanner gods. In the beginning, the Aesir and Vanner didn't get along, specifically because they are opposites. Fighting does not resonate well with nature. However, they managed to get over their differences in rule and harmony. To start, we are going to introduce the Aesir gods and goddesses. The first three Aesir were Odin and his brothers Ve and Veli. Odin is the all-father of Asgard and is the god of wisdom, runes, and poetry. It is said that he traded his eye in order to learn truths about the Nine Realms. Odin is married to Frigg, the goddess of motherhood and the queen of Asgard. She mothered Baldr, Hodur, and Hermond. Thor, god of thunder, lightning, and war, is the son of Odin. He plays a major role in many Norse myths. The next god is Loki, god of trickery. While not a true Aesir, he still lives among them in Asgard. He is often the sole problem in the majority of Norse myths. Sif is the goddess of some aspects of the earth, along with beauty. She is Thor's wife. Tyr is another major Norse god, and he is the god of justice and fair challenges. The last main Aesir god is Baldr, son of Frigg. He is the god of light, joy, and purity, and all other wonderful things. The Aesir have a complex family, and within Norse mythology, they are the root of everything that happens in the Nine Worlds. The Vanner, godlike counterparts to the Aesir, also have many gods and goddesses that play major roles in Norse mythology. As gods and goddesses of nature and magic, they are often portrayed as peaceful creatures. In reality, they have just as much brutality as the Aesir. The king of the Vanner, Njord, is the god of the sea and the wind and all of the riches within the ocean. 
he is often seen as the calmer side of the sea, while the goddess Ran and her husband Aegir are the wilder, more dangerous parts. Njord is the father of Frey and Freya. Frey is the god of peace, fertility, and sunshine. His sister Freya is the goddess of love, beauty, and battle. The siblings were often in association with the Aesir, and thus are a part of many of the myths. Njord, Frey, and Freya were sent to live in Asgard after the Vanir battled the Aesir, and that is the main reason why they are so heavily involved in the myths. Now, the time we've been waiting for. Let's begin these myths in chronological order. The first story is always creation, and as we've already covered that, let's dive deep into the Aesir-Vanner War. It was a slow day in Asgard. The Golden City was abuzz with life, but nothing out of the ordinary occurred. That is, until a woman came riding up the hill on a horse with a coat as dark as night. She was beautiful in an ethereal way, and she seemed to radiate life. What the Aesir didn't know was that this woman was Freya, a Vanner goddess. The Aesir had never seen a god or goddess of Vanner descent, so when she arrived and began amazing crowds with her spectacles of magic, they were intrigued. They sought her out, urging her to change fire into gold or to grow diamonds from the earth. However, as they realized that their values of honor and loyalty were being pushed aside in order to fill their own selfish desires, they blamed Freya. They burned her at the stake three times, but every time she burned, she just rose up from the ashes. This made the Vanner hate the Aesir, and thus a war was started. The Aesir used their knowledge of battle and brutality, while the Vanner retaliated with magic. The war lasted several years, and eventually both sides became tired of fighting. They called the truce and agreed to send hostages over to live with the other tribe. Frey, Freya, and Njord were sent to Asgard. Honir and Mimir went to live in Vanaheim. Njord and his children had no problem adjusting to Asgard and they ended up becoming somewhat honorary Aesir. However, Honir and Mimir did not have the same time. The Vanner quickly noticed that Honir often spat out wisdom, but failed to realize that he only spoke truths when in the presence of Mimir. Honir was actually a dull simpleton, and Mimir was one of the wisest creatures in existence. The Vanner felt as if they had been cheated out of the deal, and beheaded Mimir and sent his head back to Asgard. Odin revived the lifeless head of Mimir, and it was said he learned important truths about both the universe and the Vanner from the head. However, both sides were still weary of fighting in a war neither of them could win, so they agreed on one final truce, and peace was made between the two nations. Thor's hammer is one of the most important weapons in Norse mythology, and was a key part of keeping giants at bay for so many years. How was it created? Why is it the force of nature that it is? To know how the creation of this hammer came to pass, we need to focus on one god, Loki. 
Loki, the god of mischief and trickery, woke up one day in Asgard feeling especially mischievous. He decided that he was going to sneak into Thor's house and cut off his wife, Sif's, hair. Sif's hair was precious to her, and when she woke up with a bald head and her golden tresses, tresses and tufts on her bed, she screamed to awake her husband. Thor quickly discovered the culprit and tracked Loki down. Once he found him, he promised to break every bone in Loki's body. Loki pleaded with Thor, pledging to go to Nidavellir and rectify his mistake. Thor reluctantly agreed, wanting to please Sif more than anything. Once Loki made his way to Nidavellir, he sought out the sons of Vivaldi and had them craft a new head of hair for Sif's. The dwarves worked well, creating individual strands of pure gold to rest upon Sif's head, just as her normal locks once would. Loki also got two new items, a ship that could fold into a person's pocket, and a spear that would always hit its mark. Loki had gotten what he wanted, along with two new items the gods were sure to love, but he wished for more recklessness. He then approached the dwarven brothers Brocker and Sindri and ridiculed them, saying that they could never make gifts equal to the ones forged by the sons of Ivaldi. He challenged them to create three new items that were better than the ones that he already had. He bet his head on the fact that they couldn't do it. The dwarves accepted the challenge and began to craft. The dwarves worked all night creating their first creation, a boar with hairs made out of light that could run faster than any horse. The second night, they made a ring of the purest gold that every ninth night dripped eight new rings of equal weight. Loki began to grow nervous. After all, he was relatively attached to his head. Loki turned into a horsefly and flew into the bellows, determined to sabotage the dwarves' next project. He heard Sindri talking to Brocker, telling him that it was vital to keep the Vorges hot this time, as the project was more meticulous than any other weapon they had previously completed. Loki spotted a perfect place for sabotage, and followed Brocker to the Forges and waited for him to stoke the fire. When he did, Loki flew and stung the dwarf on the hand. The dwarf barely, barely flinched. The next time, Loki stung him on the nose. He swatted at the fly, but quickly continued to work. Loki grew exasperated and stung Brocker on the eye, causing him to howl in pain and step away from the bellows. Loki flew away, content that he had saved his head. The next day, Loki and the dwarves marched up to Asgard and assembled the gods in one of the main halls. To Odin, Loki presented the spear that always hit its mark and the ring. To Frey, he gave the ship and the boar, and to Thor, Loki gave the golden head of hair that immediately bonded to Sif's head, making wavy locks that sparkled in the light of day. Thor looked at the dwarves expectantly, ready for his gift from them. They gave him a hammer that looked fierce and formidable at the top, but had a short and stubby handle due to the mistake in the forge. The gods laughed at Thor as he held the tiny thing in his meaty hand. Thor grew enraged and threatened to bash the dwarves' heads in for such a gift. However, they simply asked him to throw it, and he did. The hammer came hurtling back to his hand, and the Asgardians erupted in applause, amazed at such a gift. The dwarves turned to Loki, ready to claim their prize. 
However, Loki used his silver tongue to talk his way out of it, telling the dwarves that he had promised him, them his head, but not his neck, and that there was no place that they could cut where they would get his head with none of his neck. The dwarves grew enraged, and instead of taking Loki's head, sewed his lips shut. For one day, Loki was silenced. Loki is the main force in the end of the world, but his children are even more important. Loki has three children that will end the world through Ragnarok, and they are incredibly important in Norse mythology. The first child of Loki, Fenrir Wolf, is a monstrous creature with teeth and claws as sharp as knives, and is said to leave a bloody trail wherever he goes. He is fated to swallow the sun and Odin during Ragnarok dooming the world to eternal darkness. The second child of Loki is Jormagand, the world serpent. He is large enough to stretch over the entire nine worlds and is impossible to contain. He is fated to end the world in a torrent of water, as wells destroy many gods. The third child of Loki is Hel, the ruler of Helheim. Half of her face is youthful and beautiful, while the other half is a rotting corpse. She leads armies of zombie-like corpses to fight against the warriors of Valhalla. It is important to know about these children, because the next story features one of them, Fenrir Wolf. When Loki's children were born, the gods were afraid. They would not let the monsters live among them. So they sent Hel to Helheim and Jormagand to the oceans. The gods were too afraid to let Fenrir from their sights, as he was by far the most brutal child of Loki. They walled themselves up in Asgard and let only Tyr go and feed Fenrir. Fenrir grew at an alarming rate, soon becoming bigger than a house. The gods decided that they were going to bind Fenrir in chains so that he would be unable to cause any damage. The first th chain they tried was standard, with thick links and not a weakened segment in sight. They placed it on Fenrir, telling him that it was a test of his strength. The wolf agreed, knowing well that he could break free. With just a flick of his muscles, the chain tore like paper. The next chain the Asgardians used had links the size of dinner plates. Fenrir tore through the chain with ease once again. Fed up with the useless attempts, the gods set off, sought out the dwarves and asked them to construct a chain worthy of holding Fenrir. The dwarves agreed, forging the chain from the paradoxes of the nine worlds. It was forged from the footfalls of a cat, the breath of a fish, the roots of a mountain, in an interesting grammar lecture. Things that do not exist in the nine worlds were used, and thus it was futile to struggle. When the Aesir retrieved the rope, it looked sickly and thin, but the craftsmanship of the dwarves was unrivaled, so they went to try it on Fenrir. When the gods approached the wolf, he scoffed at the rope, but Fenrir could smell the magic on it. He refused to be bound by it unless one of the gods would place their hand in his mouth. Tyr bravely stepped forward and placed his hand in the beast's open jaws. Sure enough, when Fenrir couldn't break from the rope, he chomped down onto Tyr's hand and swallowed it. 
was a small price to pay for the binding of Fenrir, and the wolf was transported to a desolate place where he spent the rest of his days until Ragnarok. Thor and Loki had a complex relationship. Many myths say that they were rivals, others say they were allies. However, in this myth, Loki and Thor are seen as brethren, and face the same challenges together at the castle of Utgard Loki. One day, Thor and Loki were traveling far from Asgard in Thor's goat-drawn chariot. When the night fell, they sought refuge in a farmer's house, who gladly took them in. To repay them for their kindness, Thor offered up his goats to eat, knowing in the morning he could resurrect them. The family feasted on the goats, and in the morning Thor used his hammer to resurrect them. However, one of the goats had a limp, and Thor blamed the family. The farmer offered his children to Thor, and Thor accepted. The children ended up living in Asgard among the gods. Thor and Loki, along with the children, named Tjalfi and Roskva, had had to continue on foot through the snow, with a goal to reach Jontheim by dark. Just as night fell once again, they reached a huge hall and decided to stay the night there. When they awoke, the hall was quaking. The travelers quickly made their way out of the hall and were surprised to find a giant as large as a mountain standing above them. He introduced himself as Skirmir and picked up his glove, which was the mighty hall that they had slept in. He asked to accompany the gods and children on their travels, and they agreed. Giant carried off all of their supplies in his gigantic bag. When they stopped to rest, the giant fell asleep, and Thor was tasked with untying the knot to reach the provisions. He was unable to unknot the string and grew enraged. He struck the giant in his sleep, hoping to kill him. Instead, the giant merely woke up and asked if a fly had landed on his head. As much as Thor tried, he was unable to kill the giant, and when dawn flooded the campsite with light, the travelers parted ways. Finally, the band of travelers reached the castle of Utgard Loki and were met with embarrassment over their petite size. Frustrated and embarrassed, Loki boasted that he could eat faster than any of the giants there. Amused, Utgard Loki declared a contest between a god of mischief and a man named Logi. Utgard Loki placed Loki at one end of a horse trough filled with meat and Logi at the other. Loki ate incredibly fast, reaching the middle in mere minutes. However, when he looked up, Loki had already eaten his meat, bones, and the trough itself. Loki was obviously the loser and was enraged. Next, the Jolfi challenged the giants to a speed contest, as he was incredibly fast. Utgard Loki placed the child against a giant called Hugi. Tjalfi raced the giant three times and lost every single one of them. Thor then challenged any of the giants to a drinking contest and was presented with a mead horn. As much as Thor tried to drain it, the level never went down. Thor was then asked to pick up Utgard Loki's cat, but hard as he tried, the cat would not budge from the floor. Thor then challenged any giant to a wrestling competition, and when he was pitted against an old woman, Ellie, he laughed at the ease of this contest. But Thor failed this challenge also, humiliating the entire party. 
When the travelers woke up the next morning, they were ready to leave the castle. But as they walked out of the doors, Thor was stopped by Utgard Loki. The giant confessed to his trickery, telling Thor all of the tricks he had created. When Thor attempted to kill the giant Skirmir, he instead hit a mountain and carved three deep valleys into it. If Skirmir had been real, the real giant would have been dead in an instant. Loki had actually fought an eating contest against fire, which devours without mercy. The Jalfi had run against thought, which no mortal can outrun. Thor had drunk from a horn that was connected to the ocean, and had actually lowered the level of the sea. The giant's cat was actually Jormagand, and Thor had wrestled against old age. Feeling embarrassed that he had fallen for such trickery, Thor left the castle with the other travelers and returned to Asgard, never to go back to Utgard Loki's castle. There are many other myths that stretch between the myth of creation and the tale of Ragnarok, but none as important as this one. When Baldur was born to Frigg, the world rejoiced. People were so amazed with his beauty and his spirit that tales of him were spread all throughout the land. Everyone loved Baldur, save for Loki, who was jealous. One night, Baldur began to have dreams of his untimely demise, and his mother grew fearful. Odin went down to Helheim to see if his dreams really were prophecies, and Hel, not recognizing Odin, told him that Baldur was indeed going to die. Odin returned sorrowful, and Frigg, desperate to save her son, went out to the Nine Worlds. She collected oaths from every living and non-living thing, making them swear not to harm her son. The only thing that she didn't collect an oath from was mistletoe. When Frigg returned from a quest, there was a great party. All of the gods struck Baldur with swords, spears, and rocks, but they bounced off as if he had a suit of unbreakable armor protecting him. Loki approached Frigg and asked her how she had done it. Boastful, Frigg told him of how she had made him immune to all living things, all except mistletoe, as she didn't see it as any type of threat. Loki slunk away, seeing his opportunity open before him. He fashioned a dart made out of mistletoe, so sharp that it could have been a knife. He then approached Baldur's brother, a blind god named Hod. Loki convinced Hod to throw the dart at his brother, and he did. The dart went straight through Baldur's heart, killing him on the spot. As Baldur fell, the gods trembled. They knew that the death of Baldur was the first step of Ragnarok. Odin sent a lesser god, and also Baldur's brother, known as Hermon, to go to Helheim and seek the return of Baldur. Baldur's funeral was a sight to behold. They gave him a pyre fit for a king, and the ship was so laden with gold and jewels that it required a giantess to push it off to sea. The flames were set alight by Thor's own hammer, and Odin placed his ring from the dwarves into the burning flames. In the realm of Helheim, Hermund pleaded with Hel to let his brother go. Hel vowed not to do it, unless everything in the cosmos would weep for a balder. Hermund relayed this information back to Odin, and Odin set out to make everything in the universe weep for his fallen son. He almost succeeded. 
The only being that would not cry was the giantess Tok, who was actually Loki in disguise. Balder, by Loki's hand, was then condemned to spend his life in the cold, empty pits of Helheim. The gods tracked down Loki, who had escaped in the form of a fish, and captured him. They tied him up with the entrails of his fallen sons and placed a snake above his face, so that every so often the snake would drip venom in his eyes. It is from the binding of Loki that Ragnarok is set into place. Ragnarok, the end of everything, was foretold by the Norse. They believed that a series of events would lead to life itself ending and the nine worlds collapsing. Nothing could survive, not even the gods. Ragnarok begins in Midgard with a brutal winter that wipes out all food and sets brother against brother in the fight to survive. The two wolves, Skull and Hades, who have been chasing the sun and moon through the cosmos will finally catch their prey. The stars will disappear as well, leaving the nine worlds in total darkness. Next, the dragon and hawk on Yggdrasil will go tired of wanting to fight and shake the world trees so much that other trees and mountains fall. The chain holding back Fenrir will finally snap and the creature will be free. Jormagond, the mighty serpent, will rise from the depths and send mountains of water raging as he thrashes. The shaking of the nine worlds will free the ship Nagelflar, which is constructed from the fingernails and toenails of the dead, and will carry the giants into war. The leader of the giants will be none other than Loki, free of his bonds. Fenrir will run rampant over the world, devouring everything in his path while the serpent will poison the air and water with his venom. The dome of the sky will split, and the fiery demons from Muspelheim will be free, with Surt as their leader. The gods, although they they know that they will not return from battle, head in and face the foes they've been destined to for years. Odin will fight Fenrir with the warriors of Valhalla in tow. Although he tries his best, the beast swallows him and his men, ending the Allfather. Vidar, one of Odin's sons, will avenge his father's death and kill Fenrir. The wolf Garm and Tyre will slay each other, while Loki will be killed by the god Heimdall. The same goes for Frey and Surt, who will fight each other and both die in the process. Thor and Jormagand will also slay each other, ending a hatred lasting centuries. Everything will sink into the sea, and it will have been as if creation never happened. Many say that this is the end of the tale, and all tales. However, others believe that a new world will rise from the waters, better than the first. Vidar, along with the gods Vali, Baldur, and Hod, will survive. Thor's sons, Modi and Magni, will also rise from the waters, brandishing their father's hammer. A new man and woman will rise and repopulate the world. The daughter of the sun and the son of the moon will rise up and bring with it a new dawn.
The Norse myths were so incredibly important to the Norse people, and there are so many more stories than just the ones covered in this segment. The Norse may have been brutal people, but their belief was unquestioned, and the myths are wonderful stories of honor, loyalty, and what happens with a little bit of magic. Thank you for listening to this chapter of the Mists of Mythology, and have a wonderful rest of your day.